great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website, ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money each and every day. Coming up later in today's Clark Rageous Moment, I want to tell you about a new ripoff when you go to the doctor. Pay close attention to this so it doesn't shred your wallet. And coming up yet later, there's a new end thing with working out. And it seems to work for a lot of people, but even though it might make you physically fit, it will not make you physically fit. So I want to talk about it and give you an alternative in just moments. So here we are, and this is funny for people in parts of the country where kids don't go back to school till after Labor Day, but we're right on the edge where a lot of school systems go back to school and In much of the country, we're in the midst of back-to-school sales. So with back-to-school, one of the areas that's a tough decision for families is what do you do about a computer? You know, if you feel like your child needs a computer for school, what do you get? Well, the first thing is to think in terms of what is the principal computer that they use at the school that your child attends? There's been a giant shift on that that has only intensified, and overwhelmingly, schools are migrating to Chromebooks as the computer of choice in the school systems, districts, or in individual schools, public and private. And the reason schools have gone to Chromebooks is that they're a whole lot easier for a school to manage and maintain, and they're not vulnerable normally to viruses. That the best part for schools and for individual parents buying one is Chromebooks are so cheap. This back-to-school season, no-frills Chromebooks are under $100, but I'm not jazzed about you buying for your child in school a Chromebook that is too limited in its guts. And what I mean by that is the memory that one has, you want to have at least four gigs of memory on that computer. And that's really important because of the speed that that computer will go. If it has a lot less, you're going to potentially have problems with it. And that's why I want you to look at that. Um, Chromebooks are very simple devices. They operate on uh, Google's own Chrome operating system. And they are ultra, ultra simple devices that you can learn how to use usually in, oh, five minutes for a kid, and they're going to be totally aware of how to use that thing. I mean, that's pretty simple. And again, they're limited in what kind of trouble they can get into with a Chromebook, which is nice, because what you don't want is you don't want a kid to uh, have 
a situation where at a young age they have access to to trouble, right? So if your child's going to a Chromebook-based school, a really nice Chromebook will tend to cost you somewhere around, oh, $150 will get you one that is a really capable computer. And so that is the price point. And then the question is, what size screen do you want for that? So just remember, four gigs of RAM. The storage on one is not that important because everything is done in the cloud. On the other hand, if your child's going to a school that is Windows-oriented, a good Windows laptop this back-to-school season is going to cost you about $199. So about $50 more than a good Chromebook. Apple is used at very few schools now because for most families, they can't afford the Apple computers if the family has to supply them. And Apple, though, has gotten better at having back-to-school pricing at $799. So it's a whole different price universe than you're going to have with the Windows computers or the Chromebooks. But if your child's going to an Apple-oriented school, then you're probably going to need to get them an Apple computer. Watch the ads. If you live in a part of the country that has Micro Center, look specifically at Micro Center for back-to-school deals on Apple computers because they tend to have most days the lowest prices on the MacBooks, the Airs and the Pros. Um, We've got more information for you with up-to-the-minute pricing on laptops at Clark Deals through the whole back-to-school buying season, and hopefully we'll be able to point you to a really good deal. Tracy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Clark. How are you? Tracy, I don't hear you. Can Can you hear me? Hi, Tracy. Hey, can you hear me? I hear you perfectly now. Hi, Tracy. Okay. How are How are you? Great. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Um. So my husband and I um, are kind of nearing retirement, and he is on my medical plan. And uh, with the cost of insurance just going through the roof, we've started to look at some alternate alternate options. And we've been looking into some of the um, like health share, Christian based health share programs that are out there. And the monthly costs just seem so affordable in comparison to um, what I have to pay to keep him on my plan. And I'm running into some obstacles when I'm trying to get him off where they're telling me because it's not a quote unquote real insurance company that he can only drop off during um, during open enrollment. That is normally that's normally true. Okay, but but you're not you're not a horrific distance from open enrollment. But let me tell you, let me tell you something you need to know that the um, the Christian-based co-ops are completely different than real health insurance. It doesn't mean they're a bad choice, and for many right. people they're a good choice, but it's not real insurance. So you are dependent in one of the co-ops on the co-op not ending up with too many people in the co-op who have an unexpected 
major illness episode because then right. the co-ops run out of money. The difference with um, a, a real insurance plan is that the companies have enough underwriting capability that they're able to make payments on claims even if they have an unexpected run of people with catastrophic illnesses. So yeah, I would start sense. with this perspective. Your husband's health, is it just off the charts fantastic? Um, yeah, for, for the most part, yeah. He's, they, they, most of them say that they won't even take you if you've got, you know, um, if you have pre-existing conditions. It's my understanding it takes, you have to be free of sickness for like two or three years. Yeah, but usually he's, he's a two-year two year waiting period. This is how a lot of health insurance worked before 2012 is that, you know, people just redlined you if your health wasn't good. So mm-hmm. on that score, he's okay. And as far as the the co-op you're looking at, what is the cap on benefit that they'll pay? Have they told you that? Um, yeah, let me see. I mean, they said, well, most of the, oh, the cap on the benefit. Um, yeah, because if somebody has a really ugly right. disease, you know, you could blow through a cap. And so- One million plus to unlimited coverage for a single catastrophic event. One million, this is what he, this is what my husband, when he was looking into it, and this is what I'm, with out-of-pocket maximums ranging from three to 1,700 per event. Which compared to your traditional health insurance may be less out-of-pocket than you have right it's now. It's a lot less. Yeah, right. that's that's the caveat. Is is it, And it's just, it's so confusing because I know it's not, a legal like it's not a insurance plan but it's a it's a business i guess right you're no you're no these are uh, the the christian based health co-ops cooperatives are they're like credit unions for health coverage but they're not real insurance so okay. what you're getting is you're getting a much lower premium mm-hmm. and you're getting more restricted coverage and many of the co-ops have things they won't pay for or they limit what they pay for particular conditions, and they don't have the unlimited thing if somebody ended up with a really huge event. So you're playing the odds. And the cost savings up front are so great that it makes it very appealing. So I just want you to think about what you're getting and what you're not getting. You're saving money every single month once your open enrollment comes if you migrate your husband to one of these. But what you're losing is you're losing the the blanket of protection, if you will, that you get with real health insurance. So, so it legally, is a trade-off. So legally, if there was, say, a catastrophic event and um, let's say they they decided midstream they just can't afford to pay it, it, it is, is there any recourse? Well, there are you a know, lot of lawsuits involving these co-ops. But the reality is, part of the reason the premiums are cheaper is they're not doing what's called traditional underwriting, where they're not building up massive reserves of money for catastrophic incidents. So it is a trade-off. You have to decide, is it better for your life and your lifestyle to have a much lower premium, knowing that there is an outside risk 
that the co-op won't be able to afford the coverage that might be needed because of a condition that does not exist now. And so you've got to make that decision yourself. But they are very, very different one from another. Today's Clark Rageous moment is yet another bill shock that is hitting people when you go to the doctor. It is ugly. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Around the country and pretty much every midsize and large community, hospital systems are trying to get to a size that they have more control over the market in which they're in. And in addition to going through what are called roll-ups, where in most major communities, typically three hospital systems end up dominant, buying up all the independent hospitals in a community. And then once they've done that, they start buying up individual doctor practices. And so doctors who have been independent are approached by a hospital and told, you know, we're willing to pay you X number of dollars if you will sell your practice to us and become an employee of us. Now, if you don't, we're going to make sure that no patients are ever referred to your practice. It's like a mafia godfather kind of thing. So when the hospitals pay the doctor big money to buy his or her practice, they make that up two ways. One I've shared with you before, which is the doctor's fees are now controlled by the hospital and tend to be raised typically 50% above what they were before the hospital bought the practice. And so you may be facing much higher out of pocket because your insurer may say, hey, that's not a reasonable fee. This is what we pay. Good luck. Here's the rest of it. Well, now Consumer Reports has published an article that more and more hospitals, when they buy these doctor practices, and remember, this doctor could be um, in a building 10 miles from the hospital that's bought them, that when you go to the doctor, not only are you billed a higher amount for seeing that doctor, but then you may be hit with what's known as a facilities fee or some other term like that where the hospital allocates to each patient who goes to see one of the doctors where they own the doctor's practice an overhead charge for running the hospital itself that you've never set foot in. Now, insurers won't pay this, but you end up responsible for it. And the hospital will start dunning you, they'll turn you over to a collection agency, whatever, because you don't want to pay this junk fee which according to Consumer Reports can be as high as more than $1,000 for a single visit to a doctor's office, on top of all the charges for going to that doctor's office. Now, obviously, this is out of control. What you need to know is that when your doctor's practice is purchased by the hospital, you need to know that that is a landmine for your wallet. And you need to know that you need to check before you go, by calling 
and finding out what fees you may be hit with, including asking, is there any additional fee that you have to pay to support the hospital for going to that doctor? Because again, your insurer is not going to pay it. It's not treated as a charitable donation on your part. It's just money after the fact that you're billed for and you're supposed to pay. The best thing, unless you just love, love, love your doctor, if your doctor's practice is purchased by a hospital, go find a new doctor. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. So I am a fitness nut. I am not an athlete, but I am absolutely obsessed with being fit. And I am completely one of those people, a rare bird, who's totally self-motivated. But most people have a hard time staying with a fitness routine, an exercise habit, whatever it is. And in order to sustain an exercise program, a lot of people find that they do much better as part of organized group activities. And that is the hot thing now in the fitness arena. In fact, a lot of traditional fitness centers that are just a sea of machines that you work out on, are failing. They're closing. Uh, That brings up a special point, and that is you don't want to pay big money up front for any gym because you don't know that it's going to be around for you to take advantage of that great deal they offered you for paying up front. That's a side thing. But the big thing are these experiential kind of facilities where you're in group classes for any of a variety of different activities and could be exercise routines of a particular kind, yoga, Pilates, um, spin, to name three, but there are many, many others. And it works for a lot of people to be part of a group routine. But at the same time, it's expensive. I mean, it's labor-intensive, for these places to run all these classes, and you can really eat up a big chunk of your money. But if you know you're the kind of person who needs the motivation of the group, one way to look at a more affordable place to get this done is at your local YMCA, as an example, where a lot of times these uh, group classes for all these various activities are much, much cheaper than it, the new wave of exercise. And if even paying what you'd have to pay at the Y is more than you can handle, are you aware that all over the country there are free exercise group activities that you can find on social media or you can Google for your community or do any search engine and you will find all different kinds of activities from um, free yoga to free running to free Pilates to whatever it is that's the activity that you look forward to that you want to participate in, but you'd really benefit from the group. And then you don't have to pay that money because we, we have our wallets 
that only have so much money in them. And we have to figure out what our priorities are. And I believe that exercise is one of the most important activities I can go into. And for me, for my mental health and my physical health, exercise is so essential. So I'm just driven for it. But that's not most people. So whatever method works for you, great. But if you're like, well, I just can't afford that, know that you can do it for nothing other than your time and effort. Dale is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dale. Hey, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Dale. You are an iPhone guy. I am. All right. How can I be of service to you? Because I have a family of Apple people, although I'm I'm an Android guy. Ah, well, I'm sure you'll be of great help then. Let's see. I'm curious. I have an iPhone 6, which won't support the new operating system. And so that brings me to the point of I need a new phone. Where do I get the most bang for the buck? Do I buy a phone that's going to be good for a year, or do I buy into a plan where I get a new phone every year? Why not look at buying a used newer phone? Because I hadn't considered that because I always like new. (laughs) Well, you know, in the Apple orbit, there are so many used phones floating around out there that, Uh like, for example, if you got an iPhone 8 or 8 Plus, those are very modern phones. You're going to have one you should be really happy with. And they're available in the used market at about $300, which compared to the cost of a new iPhone would be really great, potentially. The other thing is a lot of people bought the Apple phone that is their new discount one, which is the um, 10R. And there have been people who have been very unhappy with the 10R. And so those are being dumped. If you look on eBay, you may find some good deals on used 10Rs. If you go to various cell phone carriers, they're offering huge subsidies on getting 10Rs for people who sign up in pairs, where you essentially get the 10Rs at half price. And Hmm, the 10R has a 6.1-inch screen and is a phone that seems absolutely fine to me. Um, And I don't know why so many Apple people don't like that phone, but it seems to me that it's a deal. Yeah, it sounds like it. So which network are you on? What cell phone carrier do you use? I use Verizon. Okay, so this could be a twofer for you because everybody else is cheaper than Verizon for service. Right. So this could be a time that you choose to leave Verizon, go to a much cheaper cell phone carrier, and as part of going somewhere else, they give you a great deal on getting an iPhone. Interesting. Okay. How many people do you have on your Verizon plan? Just two. So that makes it perfect for you to look at switching. Like T-Mobile's doing a deal right now that if you come in the store, they'll, they do the 10R for free for two people coming in. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the prices of the T-Mobile plans generally are quite a bit cheaper 
than being with Verizon. Okay. So that's just a thought for you as a way that would be, that would get you, that would take care of some of the cost of your monthly bill and get you a deal on the iPhone at the same time. And and look at different carriers. If for some reason T-Mobile's not appealing to you, look at different carriers and see if they have something that would be exciting to you. And if you are with Verizon, you're too young for this, but for people that are older, if you're 55 or older, there are phenomenal deals for people that will go to T-Mobile on their military plan where you got two unlimited lines for, I'm trying to remember if it's 70 a month or 80 a month, but you got unlimited everything total for two, including junk fees, includes free international texting and unlimited data if you ever travel overseas. And then you also get the deals on the new phones. Michelle is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Michelle. You want to ask me an impossible math quiz. (laughs) Yes. Um, I want to know, um, assuming I've done all the Clark Howard recommended steps, paying off all my debts, saving for a rainy day, and maxing out my retirement, how do I calculate the optimum amount to save for college for my three children? Uh, Well, you find out when a Brinks truck is picking up at a bank (laughs) and you rob that Brinks truck because that's what it feels like with college. (laughs) Exactly. It's almost an anti-intellectual answer to it with three kids. You cannot possibly save enough money to cover the cost of private school, private college for three children. You might be able to save enough for a public state-supported college in your state for three kids. But it is, um, it, it's not something that I want to tell you what you'd have to save per month per child because it would just drive you crazy. So you <laughs> save what works within your budget because every dollar you save is a dollar that, uh, that doesn't have to be borrowed later to pay for yeah. school and it just reduces the pressure for coming up with money for college. So I really like to think of it instead as you shove as much money in there as you feel is reasonable and you can afford. And usually what you do is with you put the most you can in the account of your oldest child and then smaller amounts for your middle child and youngest child. And the reason you do that is that the oldest child, if they end up not needing all the money, you can tax-free move the beneficiary designation to, let's say, your middle child or split it between, well, really, no, you just move it to the middle child. And then after the middle child gets through, if there's any money left, you move it to the youngest child. And in most families where there are three children, truth be told, the youngest kid is the one who gets burned on money available for college. Okay. And it's just okay. hard to avoid that. But um, like, yeah. what kind of resources do you have you could devote to this each month? Well, to be honest, at this point, I'm trying to pay off some debts and get my my financial house back in order. And I'm really more of a planner. And because of some decisions over the last few years, 
I'm not in the in the position I'd like to be today. Then then so don't don't I'm, stress yourself. Don't guilt yourself. Work on those things and that's a higher priority right now than putting money in 529 accounts. Absolutely. Just just give yourself some peace on that, okay? Okay. Thank you. Because you know there's so many ways to pay for college other than money that you put aside for a child and taking care of your current financial situation in your life is more important. Jason joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jason. Hello, sir. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jason. You're looking to buy a vehicle, new or used? I'll be used. Great. Like 80% of people. Yes. (laughs) Well, how can I be of service with that? I'm looking at a particular vehicle that I, that I like, and the price for it is already a great price from the dealership. I'm just wondering what tools do I have at my disposal for a vehicle that's already at a great price? I've checked um, internet sources, and they've already valued it at a great deal. So I'm just wondering what other tools do I have to help negotiate for a vehicle that's already a, ve- a very good price? Your only negotiating power is in a competition with other used vehicles at other places that would suit your needs. Okay. I mean, your market power is not negotiating over this one individual vehicle. Your market power is, uh, and I assume if you're like most people, you have a funnel of maybe three different makes and models that you'd be happy buying used? Yes. Yeah, so the funnel is what helps you because... Then you're like, okay, well, this is a great deal on this one, but there's this other one over here. And you just say, you know, I'm trying to decide. You know, you got this vehicle right here, but there's this other one I'm really interested in, this other dealer, and it's a little cheaper than yours. What can you do? And you don't just bluff that. You go out and you shop and see what else is there. Okay. But you have zero leverage if it's only a focus on that one vehicle at what, that one dealer, why would they bend it all on the price? Correct. One gotcha to look out for is a lot of dealers do a really dishonest thing, and after you've made a deal, it's only then that you find out they add on a $500,000, $700,000 junk fee that they'll call like a documentation charge or a transaction fee or something like that. Okay. You want to make sure you know if they have one of those junk fees up front, and that needs to be a, a key part of your price negotiation. I want to say one other thing. Um, make sure that you have whatever vehicle you're going to buy, have the ability to have it inspected. Okay. I was I heard you talk about your clue report for insurance shopping, and I was pricing my insurance on for this new vehicle, getting quotes. And I realized I was overpaying for my current vehicle insurance, my provider. So I was shopping around and the other provider that I was going to, they actually broke down my clue report for me and they're going over accidents. And there's two accidents on my report that I've never had, but they followed the previous, the vehicle that I purchased from the previous owner. And that's not supposed to happen. That could happen. And they're going to dispute that. Yeah. You're doing the right thing. You know, with a home, the home, clue report follows the home not the homeowner the auto clue report follows the driver not the vehicle so that's a mistake on the clue and that's so great 
that they're helping you with the process of challenging that. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Kenneth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. And Kenneth, you have found an old medical bill that's fouling up your ability to keep your credit score where you want. What happened? Um, I'm, I'm a small business owner, and I just wanted to increase the uh, credit line on one of my credit cards, I'm running about 5000 a month, paying them off every month. And uh, one of them had the uh, rebate on it, so I wanted to take advantage of that. So I, I requested a, a credit line increase, and they said, you've got one derogatory um, mark on your credit of my score 781, but I guess that wasn't good enough. Wait, wait, wait. You have a derogatory, and your score is still 781? Well, it's 781, between 781 and 800, between three. That's fantastic. So what is <laughs> no. this What is this derogatory on your report? What kind of thing is it's a, it? It's $125 for a, a doctor I went and saw. It, it was supposed to be a free consultation, and his price was exorbitant. So I went to another doctor and paid cash for it as a minor service that I needed. And... Um, and they they decided to invoice me $125, and I didn't pay it because I didn't do anything with them. I, I just missed it that they put me in collection. It's my fault for letting it get there. No, no, no. Stop picking on yourself. The, <laughs> the best thing in a case like this is just pay the bill. You saw the doctor. Uh, even though you expect it to be free, there was some level of service rendered. Just pay it. And with medical debt, when you pay it, it should immediately fix the problem with your credit. Was this within the oh, last six months? No, this is something back from 2015. I, like I said, I didn't. I had good credit, so I never was checking my report in detail. And um, and I looked on there, and sure enough, there it was. Yeah, I think the I think the better course of valor in this case is just pay it. Make sure you get in writing from the collection agency that payment of the 125 is payment in full. And you should be good to go for that credit line increase. And I'm sorry that happened. You know, half of all collections sitting on people's credit are involving medical. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.